Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Ray Garendi. Dr. Ray, as you probably know, is a clinical psychologist, author, professional speaker, national radio and television host. He hosts The Doctors In on over 500 radio stations. And Dr. Ray has a new book out called Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration. Doctor, thanks for joining us today. Deacon, good to be with you. So, you know, we look at this world that's pretty much a pagan world right now. We see nothing but anger. Uh, every day you put on social media, you go on the news, you just, it just seems to permeate society. And, um, how does moving away from Christ and going into this pagan world really increase this issue of anger that we see almost every minute of every day? It is much more difficult to look at oneself and to try to improve if you don't have a very strong outside motivation in the case of Christians, that is Christ. Somebody comes into my office, Deacon, and they're struggling with their anger or frustration problem, whatever it is in their marriage or their kids or their job, whatever. If they're not of any kind of religious sensibility, I really have to deal with the natural results of their anger. What's it doing to their life? What's it doing to their mood, et cetera? They have to be willing to look at themselves for that sake. But if someone's a Christian and they believe that our Lord says, we are not to treat people this way. We are not to act with this kind of exasperation, irritation, snarkiness, snottiness, snootiness, whatever you want to call it. It's it's much easier to motivate them because they have a higher standard. They're trying to improve themselves for Christ's sake as opposed to for their own sake, which I've found as a therapist over the many decades I've been doing this uh, is by far for most people, at least for Christians, a more powerful motive to look at oneself and to change oneself. So, you you know, really being able to look at, I got to imagine being able to, with almost anything, looking at ourselves objectively is critical or we're never going to see those major flaws that we have that our spouse likes to remind us of on a regular basis, yet we tend to ignore because we think we're not the problem, you're the problem, right? One thing I've learned, Deacon, kind of a mega theme over being a shrink all these years, is that most people are reasonably satisfied with the way they are. I'm a good person. I don't do that. Yeah, well, you do it worse. The, the, the motive to scrutinize oneself is shaky for people. I'd have to say the bulk of people. I remember a study I read once, and at the time, I was thinking, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. But now as I've been a shrink all these years, it does. It said personality is pretty durable. Who you are pretty much stays who you are. Unless, and they didn't say this, I'm adding this, Mm -hmm. unless you have 
a, I think, a, a pretty strong divine reason to do something about it. Other than that, my natural inclination is to defend who I am, to look at you and say, well, you know, you're the cause of a lot of the way that I am. And I wouldn't be this way if you weren't like that. So that's something that I think if you're going to have growth, Deacon, mm-hmm. you really got to hold that mirror up. And that is, what's, what's the name of that Scottish poet, Robert Burns, who said something to the effect, oh, the gift the gods would give us to see ourselves as others see us. Yeah, I always think the scariest prayer would be to ask the Lord to see ourselves as he sees us because we wouldn't even recognize who we are. That is so true. And I, I personally, my own speculation theologically is that's going to be what purgatory is. You're going to, you're going to see all the stuff, all the motives, all of the behavior, the ulteriors, everything about what you did that you had no idea. Um, as a psychologist, people will say, well, how do you, how do you know what to tell people? And I say, well, I've heard it so many times. I'm rarely at a loss to give suggestions. Where I struggle in therapy is convincing a person to implement those suggestions. And what about the person, you kind of touched on this, you know, this, you know, it's just the way I was born, you know, it's just, you're just going to have to live with it. And, you know, I've done everything I can do. And, you know, I'm just, I'm a victim of God's creation. If a person has that thought, they're pretty much consigning themselves to live in whatever emotional state they're now living in, because they're not going to pull out of it. We are all a product of our neurology. I have 10 adopted children coming from wildly diverse genetic backgrounds. It's very obvious to me on a day-to-day basis how powerful wiring is. There's no question about that. The idea of the sweet little old lady who never loses her temper, well, she was probably a sweet little six-year-old and a sweet little 11-year-old and a sweet little 34-year-old. So yeah, she didn't have to struggle as much against her fiery temperament. So in some level, we're all products of this. However, God did give us a brain. He gave us a will. He gave us his grace. And those are what we use to deal with the way we're wired. Well, and really, if, if we're not really willing to look at ourselves, then we really don't care about anybody else, do we? It really is a, it's such a self-love that I'm just going to wrap myself in who I am, and I don't want to improve because, one, I don't want to, and two, I love me more than I love you. Why would I, Deacon? Why would I improve if it's not in my interest to improve? For example, let's say that uh, my father-in-law and I don't get along. I don't like his opinionatedness. He and I have clashed. I've allowed myself to lose my cool with him. But yet at the same time, he's got a big business, and I know that uh, he's looking for people to hire, and therefore, I better control myself around him. Okay, so now I got a motive, but it's still a self-motive. It's not a motive because I think it's better to treat my father-in-law with more respect. It's a motive that I think it's better for Ray Garendi so he might consider hiring me, or the fact I don't want to get written out of the will. But for many outside of a Christian motive, the motive is self. 
It is, how will this affect me? Okay, I'll treat you better because, and oftentimes tell people, I get a lot of folks in my office who are not Christians. I will say to them, do you like being this way? Do you like being agitated? Do you like getting frustrated so easily? Do you like losing your cool and then regretting what you had to say and do damage control? And almost always they'll say no. They, they won't say, no, I, li- I like being trip switch. I like letting people have it. They won't say that. Right. The question then becomes, okay, how much effort are you willing to put into this? You know, Deacon, somebody will say, <clears throat> when I lose it, that's it. I mean, my emotions take over and I'm just, I just can't control it. It's just coming out. And I'll ask them, at that moment, if I had a check in my hand for a million dollars, and said, if you stop right now, this second, I will give you this million dollars. And they knew that was true. I asked them, would you stop? And they look at me and kind of smirk and say, well, yeah. <laughs> and how about uh, how about a $10,000 check? Well, yeah. Well, how about a $10 check? Uh, I have to think about that. And they say, so you see, you're not out of control. It just depends what you decide is worth it to control yourself. Well, and you, you know, you talked about the emotion piece and how dangerous is it? And I know we all know people like this and sometimes maybe we're like this where we let our emotions rule the intellect and then pretty much anything goes at that point, doesn't it? For sure. Because what happens is I, I say this to folks, I say, if I could go back in my life and gather up all the people where I said something I regretted, or when I was even younger, did something I regretted, you know, slam an elbow into somebody in a, in a retaliatory move in a basketball game. If I could gather them all up, get them all together, I think I need uh, Ohio State Stadium, and I'd put them there, and I, I would say, okay, I, I take it all back, I'm sorry. I realized that 90% of what I did that I regret would come from an emotional surge. I'm not likely to say to you, Deacon, say after this interview is over an hour later thinking, you know what? I'm going to call him up. What kind of question was that? You know, I got to let him know a few things. I'm not likely to do that. I'm most likely to do that at the moment it occurs when the emotion surges. And here's an interesting thing about emotion. It doesn't last very long unless you feed it. For example, if I can shut my mouth for 30 seconds, not even, 15 seconds, and not say what I most had the urge to say, 15 seconds later, the emotional surge will be probably cut in half. And then I will be able to control it. And if I recognize that, if I say, don't ever say anything at the moment you most feel like saying it, don't say it. If you can weather the next many seconds, you'll be able to control yourself. Yeah. And you mentioned that in the book. And I thought that was really a good point. You know, that that moment of time between thought and word, if you can control that, how much aggravation do you save yourself? How many I'm sorries do you save yourself? The old saying is. If you had a penny for every one you saved, you'd be, you'd be rich. 
Well, the old thing is you never have to apologize for what you didn't say. That's true. That's true. You can bring it to the confessional if you want, but no one else is going to know. People will ask me, they'll say, why did you write a book on anger and frustration? And I say, well, that's very simple. I'm not likely to say something to you that's hurtful or nasty or snarky when I'm sad or if I'm anxious or if I feel guilty. By far, I'm most likely to do that when I'm irritated, agitated, frustrated angry, upset. That's when I do that stuff. That's when I'm most likely to act counter to what Christ wants me to act. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get on you because I'm, I'm sad. Boy, Deacon, I'm sad. And, and, you know, I'm really feeling really, really down about some things that are happening in my life. And can you give me a minute here to insult you about something you did? (laughs) (laughs) And I would say it would take longer than a minute. So let's get going. (laughs) <laughs> no i mean i get it and how many, you know and, and you touched this on the, in the book as well i mean how often do we read into things because of our own self-focus that's really not even being said or meant that draws out that anger in us because of our our own insecurity somebody comes into my office and i'm trying to figure out what makes them tick and I get an hour or two or three with them. And through listening to them, probing some stuff, I'm starting to figure out their motives. Now, after three sessions, I, I have some sense of their motives, but I can be wrong. So can you imagine how easy it is to misread somebody's motives on the spot? If, for example, uh, let's say that a wife says her husband comes home 45 minutes after he said he would. And she thinks to herself, you know how thoughtless that is. He does that. He doesn't even, he doesn't even care. He doesn't even care enough to let me know he's going to be 45 minutes late. Now, she's imputing motives to him. The motive is lack of care, thoughtlessness, going to do what he wants. Those are the motives she's imputing to him. But if there's any other motive, then it's not personal. I think the quickest way, and most shrinks probably agree with this, to make yourself upset at another human being is to personalize what they did. They're doing this to distinctly assault me as a person. Parents, for example, get very, very frustrated at their kids' misbehavior. Why? Well, one of the main reasons they get so frustrated is because they think the kids are acting this way just to make their lives miserable, just to simply assault their parenthood. And I always tell them, you know, I don't think he even cares about assaulting your parenthood. He wants to do what he wants to do. And if you get upset about it, that's just a bonus. So the bottom line is the more you personalize, the more you say, this is a direct comment on me, the more you're going to get upset quick. Yeah, and we can all look back on our lives and see how that plays out, and it's played out way too too often for most of us, I'm sure. How does frustration lead to anger? Right? Is 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 that just kind of a you know we're we're not reading things like we think life should be fair and it's not, and we just become frustrated and angry? How does that frustration play? A great definition of frustration is it is the gap between 
the way I want things to be and the way they are. So, for example, let's say I get up in the morning, I've got my schedule all set up. I know what I'm going to do. i got to know where I'm going to be. And I get this phone call from my mother. And she wants to bring up something that happened last night with my brother. And she's really upset. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to get out of here, mom. Come on, mom. Look, can't we, mom, okay, and can we talk about this later? And she's crying. So now I'm already behind. I'm heading for work. And lo and behold, uh, you live in Ohio. The summer flower is an orange traffic cone. Oh, now I'm stuck. All right, now I'm going, now I'm going to be late. Now this meeting I had to be at, forget it. I had an interview with Deacon. Jeff, I'm not, that's it. It's, it's, it's over. I'm getting frustrated. Why? Because it's not gone the way I want it to go. But for me to get frustrated, I have to believe it's supposed to go the way I want it to go. My wife said something to me once way back when all the kids were at home. She said, once I realized that how I planned my schedule for the day was in all likelihood not going to work out and that interruptions were going to be part of my schedule that I didn't anticipate. She goes, I didn't get anywhere near as frustrated. But it was when I expected it to go as I wanted it to go, when it got interrupted and sidetracked, that's when I got frustrated. And that's why I say to people, you expect things to be the way they're going to be, you're going to be frustrated. The other thing is this. This is a big one, Deacon. People call me a lot. And they will say, please tell me how to make somebody else be different. Now, I will say to them, I have a hard enough time helping you to be different. How are we going to make somebody else be different, especially if they don't want to cooperate? We expect yeah. people to act a certain way. And when they don't, I think there's, there's something I call closing the book. Let's say for most of us, a relative handful of people cause the majority of our exasperation, whether it's a parent, an uh, adult child, a spouse, a brother-in-law, a cousin, somebody usually in our closer inner circle uh, accounts for much of our frustration. And the reason they do is because they've been doing it. My mother-in-law has been like this now for the last 27 years. When is she going to stop making these comments about our parenting or our religion or our house or our relationship? She's intrusive. Now, here's the problem, Deacon. Most people, the 27 years becomes a buildup. They get more and more frustrated because they expect that person to be different than they are. I say you should get less frustrated with them. Why? Because you know now how they are. There is no doubt. They've been this way for 27 years. They're not going to change. So why are you still frustrating yourself to the same degree every time? When will you say, oh, yeah, she made another snotty remark. Well, that's, I think that's snotty remark number 1,478. Okay. And that's who she is. I got to get along with her. It's my wife's mother. I think it's better to get less frustrated when somebody repeats the things that they do 
then to get more frustrated. Yeah, because at that point, the ball's been in your court for 27 years, but you've, you you failed to do advance the ball or to do anything because you're still living in a fantasy world as opposed to reality, and you don't want to deal with the reality. Sometimes, Deacon, people will say, well, you need to tell her how you feel. And I always say this to them. Well, okay, when was the last time you aired it out with somebody who didn't really see themselves as you see them and you threw in some personality traits. You know, you can be pretty snotty sometimes. You're, you, when you get opinionated, it really is hard for me to take. And they said, after you told them like it is, they said, why, thank you. You know, I never realized I came across like that. That's so helpful. Thank you, Ray, for pointing this out to me. It's, uh, it's uh, certainly an occasion of growth. When did that happen? And they say, well, never. I said, that's right. Because a difficult person, one of the main traits in their difficult is that they don't realize they're difficult. And when you point out to them how you're frustrated with them, uh, it usually doesn't go anywhere. I say, your better move is to recognize this is the way it is. This is probably the way it will be. Well, Dr. Ray, wait a minute. Now, you can't just swallow everything. Sometimes you got to let people know. Well, yes, but here's a couple of big qualifiers. One, stick to specifics. Don't say you're opinionated. Say, yesterday you said, ba, 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 about my parenting. Do you, do you think my parenting's bad? Now, you're sticking to specifics. Right. The other thing is, if you've tried this before and it didn't work, it's probably not going to work again. So now it's up to you to realize I just got to figure out how to float with this person because they're difficult, but they're part of my life and I got to get along with them. Yeah, and that's it's exactly true. And you can I'm sure all of us can picture in our minds scenarios that have played out like that. You know, it's funny. I was I'm a big Johnny Wayne fan I was watching uh, the movie El Dorado the other day. And uh, right before we we're going to do this interview, and there's a line in the movie where James Conn says to John Wayne, boy, he's going to be awful mad at you to coming out on the other side. And John Wayne says, good, I want him to be mad because he'll be less effective if he's mad. How does, how does anger make us less effective? <laughs> well, it clouds us. When, when yeah. your emotions are, are ruling you, it clouds smart thinking. It does. You get to the point where you really don't care about consequences. You're just going to let it all hang out. That's it. And you feel you have the right to do that. So therefore, if you have the right to get that angry, then there's no telling what you're going to say. People will say, well, that must be how he thinks because it finally came out. Uh, don't be too quick to say that when people are angry, they say all kinds of crazy things that if they, if they thought about it with, with a reasonable assessment, they would say, no, that that's not really true. She, my wife is not a diva that was raised by her mother who says she's a princess. Okay. That was, that was my attack line during the argument, but I was so mad. So yeah, when you get upset, upset and regret kind of follow each other. At least if you're trying to live well anyway. If you're not trying to live well, then you think you're justified and you're upset. Right. And everybody else is at fault. And, you know, it's interesting. We live in this relativistic world where everybody comes up with their own truth. You would think there'd be less anger 
right? If you bought that kind of line of thinking because I'm living my truth and everything's fine, but there's more anger because they've really gotten away from the foundational moral teachings of, of Christ and, and the church, and it, it becomes almost like anarchy. We are unbelievably intolerant in our tolerance. I, I have tolerance for you, Deacon, if you think like I do. If you don't right. think like I do, my tolerance ends. Uh, that, that mindset has, has really become fixed in our, in our cultural zeitgeist. And, you know, I, I can't say what it was like 150 years ago, the way people interacted with each other. I, I don't know. I'm not that old. Teresa Tommy was that old, but I'm not that old. So well, you can always I ask can't. her. <laughs> I can ask her. Say, Teresa, what was it like right after the Civil War? Do you remember? I know you're in preschool. So, but but given, given all that, it, it's true. Um, as a psychologist, if somebody comes into my office, I have to try to understand how they think. I hear a lot of rot gut stuff, Deacon. I mean, uh, stuff that would just curl your hair. And I hear nastiness and meanness to people. I hear all sorts of hurts and offenses and, and, and downright maltreatment. I can't say, why are you doing that? That's really stupid. You know, you got to get yourself together. What's wrong with you? Because I, I basically have them for one session, maybe not even before they stormed out. I've got to try to figure out why they're thinking their way that, that way, what's prompting them, what's motivating them. And that's what I tell people. Try to understand through asking questions, getting inside another person's head, why they're acting that way, rather than immediately defending yourself, immediately denying that you're not like that. If your mother-in-law says, you know, you spoil those kids. Mom, there's no way I spoiled those kids. Are you kidding me? You should see how some of them, rather than that, say, Mom, why do you think that? Give me some examples on why you think I spoiled the kids. Kind of the facts and nothing but the facts. And, you know, I know these interviews that we've we've done with you several times, they go so fast, we're almost done. Uh, The reminder is that the new book is Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration from Sophia Press. How can people keep up with what you're doing, Dr. Ray? My website is drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com. The book is there, along with uh, 15 other titles I've written, um, so they can get it there, and they'll, they'll get it signed, too. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.